thank you for each one here tonight. Um, when I started preparing this message, um, I intended to look at the question that the Lord was asked um, that I thought was a really good one. And the response, how to love the Lord your God, the command with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And as I looked at it, um, I realised that I couldn't just stop there. The whole passage right down to the parable was all joined together. It was all connected. And I felt like I was chopping it in half if I did that. So I hope I can share with you what um, I enjoyed looking into and um, you get a blessing from it. So we're looking at chapter 10 of Luke, and if you want to follow along um, the verses there that Troy read out. Um, So the question specifically, um, the lawyer asked the Lord, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And it's an important question, and it's a relevant question for us today, just like it was back 2,000 years ago. And we can see the lawyer knew the answer to this question because the Lord makes him answer his own question. So why did he ask the question? Perhaps the lawyer asked this question to see if Jesus gave an answer in line with what his expectations were, what he knew scripture to be. Um, The lawyer was probably a scribe, And the scribes and Pharisees wouldn't accept the Lord was sent by God. They had followed hard after works and traditions, human works and traditions, man-made laws. It was an external show of goodness, but they were really dead inside. And Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees in John 8:42, "If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me." So the scribes and Pharisees were confused by Jesus. They could see the miracles that he was doing all the time, and they witnessed his power and his wisdom that came from him. And But they weren't convinced by that and they thought that they were right with God. They wouldn't listen to Jesus and they grew to hate him, God's son. And I just think that's an amazing thought. Like They had access to God in the flesh and they missed him. They just didn't know. They totally missed their opportunity. And they despised him. And the Lord said of them, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. So back to the lawyer's question in verse 25. We have this setting where the Lord is teaching. And Luke says this lawyer stood up to tempt or to test the Lord with a question. And it is a relevant and important question as we've looked at. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question that has been asked of the Lord a number of times by different people. It's a question that's on the mind of a lot of people. And we can see that as we look at different references in the Bible. 
Old Testament Jews believed in an eternity after death. They knew life wasn't all just about living this life now, but there was a life to come. They knew this life is temporary, but there's one to come that is eternal. Old Testament believers didn't have the New Testament like we do today. Um, We have access to so much more information than the scribes and Pharisees had. So we are so blessed to have God's finished words today. But the Jews still knew there was an eternal life to come. They knew Enoch went into eternity in Genesis 5.24. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. They knew Elijah had gone into eternity in 2 Kings 2.11. They knew how there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And in Deuteronomy 34, they knew Moses who spoke face to face with God, the Ancient of Days, the Eternal One. And in Job 19, they knew the story there that He knew his Redeemer liveth, was eternal, and that after his death and decay in the flesh, he himself with his own eyes would be raised again and would see God. In 2 Samuel 2.23, they knew David said of his son that he um, had with Uriah's wife Bathsheba, saying, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And we can see in these accounts There's eternity, there's a future after death. So they knew about the truth of eternity and eternal life. And also in that reference, there's the other side of it, eternal death. There's eternal life. It says in Daniel 12, 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So here Daniel is speaking of eternal life and also, again, on the flip side, alluding to eternal death. And we, um, we have so much more, as I said, in the New Testament that we have reference to even the account of um, the rich man and Lazarus. And that sort of is a picture of um, heaven and hell in the Old Testament sense because the Lord hadn't risen from the grave, hadn't gone to the cross yet. So um, we sort of get a picture there. So God's put an eternity in each of our hearts. There's a question people ask today, like what is the meaning of life? And it's like a cry for an answer. Why are we here and where are we going? And I think that's similar to that, how do we get eternal? Well, Eternal life, but thing we have today is this evolution and the faith in evolution, and it tries to bury eternity and the consequences of it. Evolution says now is all there is. Life for now. Don't worry about tomorrow. We can eat, drink, and be merry. There's no consequences for our actions. But people, especially in the Old Testament time here, they knew about eternity and it had an effect on them. And just the fact how many times the Lord got questioned, how do I get eternal life? We can see it was on their hearts and minds. So I think it's a question that this lawyer, um, like many in his day, would have thought about. So he's a religious man who wants to be right with God. But he's doing it man's way and it doesn't work. 
It doesn't bring him the peace of God in his heart. So if we compare the lawyer to, say, Nicodemus, on the other hand, Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he came to Jesus by night. He was afraid of his colleagues, what they would think of him, but he still came to Jesus um, because he could see that Jesus had been sent from God. He came with a seeking heart and he was open to the truth that the Lord had to share with him. The Lord knew that and he responded to Nicodemus with how to be saved. He didn't, the Lord didn't have to break him by giving him the law. In Romans chapter 3, 19 to 20, it says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the deeds, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Everyone is required to obey God's law, but no one can keep the law and thereby be justified by it. The only one that was able to keep the law was Jesus Christ, God's Son, who came in the flesh and satisfied God's law. And he was the only one that could do that. So the law gives man the knowledge of sin. The proper response to the law about our sin against a holy God is to plead for mercy. And God is merciful and he has provided a substitute for our sin, his own son, Jesus Christ. And he went all the way to the cross and he shed his blood And he was the only sacrifice acceptable that could take away sins because he was sinless and pure. And only then, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us inside believers, can anyone begin to live a life that is then pleasing to God. Jesus is God and he knows the heart and motives of the lawyer here. We can see the lawyer is proud and he's full of his self-righteousness and no one can come to God for mercy with pride in their heart. It says God resists the proud in 1 Peter 5 5. The scribes and Pharisees are very zealous for ritual and heedance to the Mosaic law and their own traditions that they'd written off that as well, added laws and commandments. The Lord almost never said anything good about the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23 records all these woes the Lord pronounced on them. He said, hypocrites, blind guides, they strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, whitewashed tombs, serpents, sons of, the, sons of those who murdered the prophets, fools and blind, full of extortion and excess, whitewashed sepulchres, profane and foolish. They knew what Jesus thought and taught about them. And Jesus said these things publicly to the crowd and his disciples and they heard it. It wasn't done in secret. He told the crowds the Lord, told the crowds to heed the scribes and Pharisees, but not to do what they said according to their works or deeds. They were all law and outward works, but had no true love for God or man in their heart. So to answer this lawyer's question, Jesus asked him a question back which was basically, what is in the law of Moses? How do you read it? 
And the lawyers answers him with, Thou shalt love, which is agape, which is selfless, sacrificial and unconditional love, which we've looked at before, the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And that heart is um, cardia. And that, to the Jews, encapsulated the thoughts and the mind. And with all thy soul, um, which is in the Greek, suke, and that cap- encapsulates the fleshy human part of us. And with all thy strength, which is iskus, with all our will and volition and with all our mind, um, Dianoia, all our intelligence and intellect. Um, So I probably pronounced them wrong. But these different words seem to even overlap in their meanings. But the point of it is to capture the whole being of our person. It's uh, a perfect love with all of the human um, faculties. And it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and 365 days a year to be able to satisfy God's commandment. So it's never thinking a wrong thought, never saying a wrong word, never having a wrong attitude, and never disobeying a single commandment towards God, ever. It's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And the last part of that was taken from Leviticus 19.18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. I am the Lord. It is a condensing of all the laws and commandments into a most compact form. The first five books of the Bible we call the Pentateuch. It has um, lots of commandments in it. And rabbis um, have said that there are 613 commandments in it, in what they call it the Torah, in the first five books. And they amazingly get this number I've read from there being 613 letters in the Hebrew Ten Commandments, one law for every letter. Um, So God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai in Exodus 20 and they are a condensing of the laws into Ten Commandments, not really that many. The first four commandments deal with man's dealings with God and it's, you shall have no other gods before me. So only worship the one true God. You shall not make yourself a graven image not create and worship idols or images. You shall not take the name the Lord your God in vain, so not to use God's name carelessly or disrespectful. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Jews would set aside the Sabbath day um, to worship God. And the next six commandments deal with man's dealing with man. Honour your father and mother, so we respect and obey our parents and our elders. You shall not kill, not to murder anyone. You shall not commit adultery. This prohibits sexual um, infidelity and protects the sanctity of marriage. You shall not steal, and that's not to take another person's property without permission. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, not to give false testimony or lying about someone else. And ten, you shall not covet, and this is not to cover 
um, covet another person's possessions, including their spouse. So, um, ten commandments, and as we said, it isn't very many. Like, it's not a, you wouldn't think it would be a hard task. Yet, when we read the history of the Israelites in the Old Testament, one of the reoccurring themes that we see over and over again is they can't keep God's law. In Jeremiah 19.13, it says, And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein. Psalms 78.10, They keep not the covenant of God, they refuse to walk in his law. Psalms 119, verse 36 says, Rivers of waters run down my eyes, because they keep not thy law. Nehemiah 9.16 But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments. Habakkuk 1.4 said Therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth for the wicked discompass about the righteous therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. So over and over again and there's a plethora of different references where the Jews failed to keep God's law. The lawyer's question um, here to Jesus, we know that this lawyer knows the law. He's probably, as we said, a scribe. He studies it every day, he recites it, and he memorises it, and it's all in his head. And he gives the correct answer in verse 27 back to the Lord, and he sums up the requirements of the law like Jesus had on other occasions in the Gospels. So the Lord says, do this and you will live. And this is what Leviticus 18.5 says. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. If you keep all God's commandments, you will live. Do God's law perfectly all the time and you will gain eternal life. And if we're honest with ourselves and don't deceive ourselves, we know we cannot keep the law perfectly all the time. We know only one person has ever been able to keep the law perfectly, Jesus Christ. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. If we obey it but fail in one point, just one time, we fail. This lawyer must think that he loves God perfectly all the time because he doesn't question his love for God. The scribes and Pharisees had elevated their own righteousness and they'd brought the holiness of God down. And this caused them to believe that their good works and their heedance to the law of God was good enough. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, it says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we notice there that it says, have righteous, it doesn't say have the righteousness like the scribes and Pharisees. It says, unless you exceed it. And we know how um, just possessed they were on following after the laws of Moses and the outward show of it. This lawyer should have responded to the command with something like, 
I am trying my absolute hardest, but I cannot keep the law. Have mercy on me, a sinner. But he's trying to justify himself. And his response shows his self-righteousness here. So this leads us to the next question the lawyer asks um, in verse 29 there. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbour? So we see here that he believes that other people had to qualify to be his neighbour. But Jesus' response shows that we are the ones who have to qualify if we are to be a loving neighbour. The opinion of the scribes and Pharisees was that their neighbours were only the righteous people. The wicked, which included tax collectors, prostitutes, Gentiles and Samaritans, were to be hated because they were the enemies of God. So the Lord replies to him by giving him a story we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's probably one of the best-known stories in the Bible, and we hear about it on the news when someone does a good deed for someone um, and, or a good work, and they call them a good Samaritan. But when we see the points that the Lord is making, we can come to the realisation that no one really ever does what the Samaritan does. In verse 30, it says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Here the Lord tells a story we can assume of a Jew who's fallen into a really bad situation. He's been beaten half to death and he's laying on the main road from Jerusalem to Jericho completely helpless and robbed. And verse 31 says, And by chance there came down a priest, a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. This is a priest, and he is the man of God. He's a religious leader, and he knows the law back to front. He knows Exodus 23, 4, that says, If thou meet thy enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him. How much more would you expect if your enemy lay on the road that you would help him? But yet he passes him by on the other side of the road and goes his way. Then in verse 32, And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side of the road. The Levites were assistants to the priests and they served in the temple as well. The priest didn't help this half-dead man on the road, but maybe the Levite would show mercy. But the Lord says no, he also walked by, leaving him. And here the story takes a turn in verse 33. It says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came um, where he was, and when he saw him, he has compassion on him. This should prick the lawyer's heart because he knows that he wouldn't do what the Samaritan had done. He'd probably do exactly what the priest and Levite did. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. When the Jews had been carried off into captivity by Babylon, some of the Jews had been left behind, some of the elderly and sick and their families or whatnot, 
Um, and they had intermarried with Gentiles to survive and they became known as the Samaritans. The Samaritans had even built their own temple to worship in because they couldn't access the temple in Jerusalem. They weren't allowed. At one stage, the Jews went up and destroyed it. So we can see, because they thought it was pagan, and we can see that there's a lot of hatred and um, animosity there. In the Jews' eyes, they had totally defiled themselves. The Jews called them half-breeds, and they resented them, and it grew and grew. At the time of the Lord, Jews wouldn't even walk through the area that they lived in called Samaria. They would go out of their way to walk all the way around it just so they wouldn't encounter them. The Lord didn't think of the Samaritans like that. In John chapter 4, 3 to 4, it says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. And the Lord went through Samaria and he had that encounter with the woman at the well and he preached to her and she brought many from the city and it says that many believed on him. Another time when the Lord was giving the scribes and the Pharisees the truth, um, they replied with one of the worst insults they could think up. They said, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? And I like how the Lord replied to them. He didn't take being called a Samaritan as an insult. He just said, I have not a devil, but I honour my father, and ye do dishonour me. So back in the parable of Luke 10 here, we find the Samaritan finds this Jew robbed and half dead, and he has compassion on him. In verse 34, and went to him and he bound his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He bandages all his wounds and treats him with his own oil and wine. He puts him on his own animal and he takes him to an inn. It's costing him resources and it's costing him his time, his plans, wherever he was going. In verse 35, And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. So we see he stays the night with him and he cares for him until the next day. And he takes out two pence or um, denarion, and pays the innkeeper to look after him until the man recovers. And I've read that they have found records or plaques from around this time that shows the cost of rooms in inns. And they've estimated that with what the Lord said he gave in the story here, it would be equal to about one or two months' stay in the inn. So we can see how lavish this Samaritan was being. It cost him his money. And on top of that, He then opens himself up to be ripped off by the innkeeper or even his supposed enemy here by saying, take care of him and whatsoever you spend more, I will repay you. The word of the Lord, uh, the word the Lord used here for inn is a place for everyone. It wasn't a special place. It was like a common inn. Public inns weren't known um, to be the nicest. They were like 
common rough hotels they could be and innkeepers weren't known to be the most honest and respectable citizens either um, that you'd want to trust with your money so the Samaritan we can see he's opened himself up for abuse and has become vulnerable for caring for his enemy the Lord said in Matthew 5 43 to 44 ye have heard that it hath been said thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy but I say unto you love your enemies bless them that curse you do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you and it makes you think how many of us has ever done this for somebody let alone practice this kind of love on an enemy every time that they needed our help the, usually the only ones we do this for is ourselves. So it makes sense why God gives us the command to love our neighbour as ourselves, because it's the only ones we naturally do this for ourselves. The Lord shows the lawyer that his thinking on loving his neighbour is all wrong. It isn't who is my neighbour, it's who am I a neighbour to? Verse 36 and 37 of Luke 10, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbour unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Do we ever show ourselves as a loving neighbour like this to anyone? Then Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. And the lawyer had no response to this that's recorded. He knew he wasn't a neighbour. And I do hope the lawyer went away and thought hard about this encounter he had with the Lord. If he was honest with himself, he would have had to admit that he couldn't do it, not on his own strength. And this is the point of the law. The purpose of the law is to break sinners and to direct them to Christ, the Redeemer. James chapter 2, 8 to 11 says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convicted, convinced of the law as a transgressor's. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. For if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 22 to 26 says, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 to 10 says, O man, owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. 
For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So, I thought Christians should be some of the hardest people to get into a fight with. As children of God with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we should be able to, like the Lord was and like um, we read Paul was, should be able to take wrongdoing or when we are abused for Christ's sake and not retaliate or hate our enemies. In John 13, verse 34 to 35, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love for one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 24 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So let's, as believers, provoke one another to love and to good works. And that love is agape love, and that's the most genuine and sincere selfless love that the Bible tells us. It's not for salvation but because of salvation that we can do this. So I hope that was um, a blessing to you as it was to me. Um, I had a hymn that I wanted to sh- uh, we could close on. Um, I might just close in prayer and then we'll turn to that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the instruction and truth of it, Lord. We thank you that we have your complete word today, Lord, that we can read. And I do pray that it would change us and it would um, not leave us uh, as we were before, Lord, that it would every day we would be being sanctified, Lord. And I do pray that we would love and our neighbour and we would love you with all our heart, Lord, soul, mind and strength, Lord. And by this that the world would see and know that we are your children, Lord, and that this only comes by your spirit living in us, Lord, that we can begin to do this, Lord. We thank you for this. We thank you for your truth and love to us, Lord, that we do not deserve. We just pray for our time now as we close and go our own way, Lord, that you would be with us in Jesus' name.